listening to First Church Charlotte. So uh, I want you all to I want you all to believe it um, deeply. I want you all to claim it deeply um, that you are intentionally designed by God uh, to be to have the capabilities that you have. Now, this is something that uh, we should all of us take seriously um, because the enemy is always trying to talk us out of doing anything for God. The biggest enemies of the church is not the devil. Um, the biggest inter- enemy of the church is our own inertia and spiritual apathy. Um, yeah, <laughs> and it starts right here, uh, our inertia and our spiritual apathy. Uh, This is a challenge for all of us to push against and be determined not to uh, give in on this, this, how shall we say, it's a type uh, of laziness, if you know what I mean. It's a type of laziness. And so um, I'm going to share my screen with all of you and you should be able to see uh, the notes pop up and you will be able to uh, follow along with me. I have uh, various, I think these are important, important issues. And so let's, let's get started on the first of them. And what I've tried to do is go through my years of a ministry. Not all of it has been successful. Um, if you have some kind of image of me as uh, everything I touch turns to gold. Um, I want to say thank you for believing that about me, but (laughs) yeah, um, I feel to be completely transparent that I have failed my way forward. Uh, So much of what I've tried, um, I've actually uh, felt like it was just at best um, an act of faithfulness, um, a learning experience, um, or something God used in spite of me. Um, I do not present myself as the end all and be all. Um, However, I have been given some tremendous advice on spiritual giftedness, the uniqueness of you in your place with God's anointing upon you. And I've been given it by mentors, by pastors, by uh, evangelists, by preachers. Uh, I have all, uh, just like you, I've been given tremendous, tremendous uh, advice. I want to share that with you. So I want to start by talking about principles of spiritual gifts. Now, remember, um, you can, if you would like, post questions in the chat room and when we, I'll try to move quickly so we have more time for those questions. Um, and so let's dive in. The first one I've already said, you have to remind yourself that you are unique, not because of your own accomplishment. You are unique because of God's investment in you. God has a big investment in you. And that's what makes you unique. He gifted you intentionally. He placed you explicitly. And he wants you to make a difference in your world. We'll talk about that. But the necessary uh, foundation of making a difference is acknowledging the gifts that God has uh, given given you. The second principle of spiritual giftedness is that the Bible has given us a lot of precedent. Um, there are four passages of Scripture that uh, speak 
uh, about gifts of the Spirit. I think if you add them all up, which I haven't done, but I think if you add them all up, it's 18 listed between these four passages in total. I want to point out to you that these types of teaching on your uniqueness and your gifts were uh, not just sent to one church. It was sent to the church in Corinth. It was sent to the church in Rome. And it was also uh, sent to uh, the Ephesians. So this is a consistency of the apostle appealing to people, saying, look, God chose you and God placed you uh, intentionally and uniquely. And you have to believe that. I'll, I'll just read one of them. Let's just pick, say, Romans chapter number 12, and we'll read it verse number four. Um, uh, As you have many members in one body and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and every one members one of another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Did you catch what Paul said? We have gifts that differ according to the grace that has been given to us, whether prophecy, if that is it, uh, prophesy according to the proportion of faith or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. He that teacheth on teaching or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness, let love be without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good, kindly affection one to another with brotherly love. Um, This is just one example of the four passages in the New Testament where we are given this insight into the uniqueness of our specific gifts. I want to sell you on the idea that God has chosen you. He has gifted you. So the third principle um, as we look at this is to uh, ask ourselves about our motive for seeking gifts, because I'm talking about two kinds of gifts. On one hand, there are your unique abilities, your unique creativity, your personality, your style of communication. And on the other hand, there are legitimate categorical gifts of the Spirit that should be operating in the church. Uh, They are not primarily given to individuals, although individuals tend to live them out. I like, as a guard against pride and a guard against vanity, I like to emphasize that they are given to the body. Uh, Because if you are operating in the gifts outside of God's blessing, His uh, care, His safety, then the truth is you may do as much harm as you would ever do good. And we certainly couldn't blame God for that. You would be a a wolf among sheep. Um, And so how do we ensure that what we're seeking is something that is for the good of the church? Remember, our goal as one who is gifted is to edify, to exhort. We want to serve one another. We want to love one another with brotherly love, sisterly affection. Uh, We, how do we, how do we check ourselves? How do we check ourselves? It's important that we check ourselves. The first and I think safest check that's on all of us is whenever we're seeking uh, demonstrable gifts in a manner of uh, spiritual importance, we need to check our motive. Why, why are we desiring that gift? Um, and if we are not desiring it for the goal of edifying, blessing, strengthening, renewing, encouraging, um, we are we are at risk of creating um, a vain-based uh, gift 
a vanity-based gift that even if even if the Lord uses it in, in the manner of God using uh, someone uh, who may not even be a believer, even if God uses it, it's dangerous for the person uh, who has it. We want to check our motive. We want to humble ourselves. The goal can never be that we want to be in some way mighty. <laughs> that that can't be the goal. Um, we can't you know we can't in some way desire some exaltation among the church for the sake of self. That's how Lucifer fell in heaven. We're always humbling the self. Let's check our motives. Why do we want the gift? That's number uh, the first point under motive matters. Number two, can we be trusted with the gift? Um, there's a beautiful story um, of Abraham when he conquers uh, the four kings of the Mesopotamian River Valley. This isn't in your notes, which you can download, by the way, but this is um, it's a great story. He, is, he now has all their wealth, and they come to him and they say, Abraham, don't give us the money. Keep the money. Just give us the people back. And um, Moses, excuse me, uh, Abraham says, uh, no. He says, I, I'll give you all your money back, lest anybody says it was you who made me rich or my blessing came from you. I only want the blessing that God wants me to have. That is one of the most powerful statements of a believer for them to be able to say, I only want what God wants me to have. This isn't just about exalting Nate. This isn't about pushing me to the top. If it's not your will for me to have it, the Lord, I don't want it. Because if I try to possess what is not mine to possess, that which would have been blessing turns into a curse. It's like manna that spoils and it makes me it makes me sick. Can I be trusted with the gift? I have to let God's will matter more than my self-image. Uh, the third point on this issue of motive matters is if you are pleading with the Lord for a gift, I did this as a very young man. Um, I so admired um, the prophetic ministries that I, I begged the Lord um, for things. And it wasn't really because I loved sheep. I didn't love the sheep. I didn't, I, I was too immature. Um, I, I was too self-centered in my youthful uh, insecurity. And I was pleading with the Lord. And, and, and interestingly, um, to much to, to my safety, the Lord did not give me the gifts I pled for. But what he did do is in time, he, sought, he, he taught me to see and appreciate what he had given me. It might be the case for you guys listening to this right now to ask yourself, um, is there a disconnect between what God has given me and what I am demanding of him? I love the scripture, Psalms 37, uh, 4 and 5. Um, Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desire. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him and he will help you. So rather than me trying to strong arm God. How about I delight in the Lord and trust him to give me everything that's needed to make a difference in, in my world. Uh, the fourth uh, thing in this issue of motive and checking our motives um, is we need to be willing to let spiritual leadership, spiritual authority, uh, mentors, pastors, uh, teachers, small group leaders, we need to be willing to have them check our gift. Um, it may be that our gift is um, uh, it's it's causing as much confusion confusion 
as it is helping and blessing. That's not something I made up. That's a very biblical idea. That's why Paul limits the gift of tongues in the church in Corinth. Because although they had a gift, it was causing more confusion than it was help. And so Paul limited that gift. Now, I, I've preached in a lot of churches and I've seen a lot of so-called uh, Christians who, you know, the moment they were checked in a gift, they rejected the one who had checked them um, because they tried to they tried to uh, in some way see it as a a personal assault a limitation and they they, they either divided the church divided believers in the church uh, separated friendships criticized the leadership at that church um, all because they would not let themselves be checked now uh, paul teaches us let two or three prophesy and let others evaluate what is said now, what's interesting about this is in the New Testament church, everyone couldn't speak. Um, there was, and that's another passage, some other time we'll get into that. Um, it's very much, I think, a fair reading of the text to allow the elders of the church to evaluate what has been said. You'll find that, I don't have time tonight, but you'll find that in other passages where we honor and we venerate and we accept a feedback from uh, mentors, pastors, uh, strong believers. Um, if you cannot receive a check on your motives, then your gift can be dangerous. Um, even if it's not one of the demonstrative spiritual gifts, even if it's a talent, um, if you can't receive a check upon it, um, you in many cases are setting yourself up for uh, trouble um, uh, your vanity is ruining your gift. Um, the uh, fourth, okay, so that's enough on motive matters. The next principle that I, I've written down and some of the best things I've had leaders and pastors teach me, um, continuing that list, number four, um, there is no spiritual gift that will ever remove the need for faith in your walk with God. Uh, I don't, I don't care how powerful your experience, there is no gift that will ever remove your need for faith. The just shall live by faith. We walk by faith. We live by faith. We overcome by faith. There is no gift that God can give you where you don't have to choose to trust God when you're sick in your body. There's no gift that God can give you where you can in some way turn away from humbling yourself before the Lord. The wind's still going to come. The storm's still going to come. Yes, you have gifts. You still have to choose faith. Uh, principle number five, uh, spiritual gifts do not remove us from spiritual authority or accountability. It does not make you equal to your authority. All of us needs authority. I, I have mentors in my life. And every time, uh, the Lord is my witness, my wife is my witness. When I am, when I'm challenged, when I am, um, I reach out to them because I, I can, the, the sure path to spiritual despair is to live as though I have no authority in my life. Now, my mentors do things different than I do. They have a different set of gifts. They have different talents. They have things that I can't do, but they still can see and value uh, the gifts that I have. And they can check me when I am being quick to exalt myself and put my gift over my authority, over, over authority in my life. There is no spiritual gift. You cannot pray so much that you don't have to submit to someone that's not biblical. You can't see enough angels where you don't need uh, spiritual authority uh, in your life. And beware 
a spiritual accountability that isn't really accountability to you. This is the problem of TV type preachers or I, you know, I hear people say, well, I watch my favorite person on YouTube. Well, yeah, me too. That's not the same thing as authority. Um, and this is something that um, authority is an authority if I'm not humbling myself and receiving the godly feedback that would come from that authority. Um, number six, spiritual gifts, the demonstrative spiritual gifts that we talk about uh, that are of a miracle signs, wonders, prophecy, all of that, those are for the church and they're primarily for the believer. Those demonstrative gifts of the spirit that we celebrate, whether it's word of knowledge, you get the idea of wisdom, prophecy, those are primarily for the believer. Why? Because if you don't believe, it's absurd to you that someone can speak in a foreign tongue and give you a word from the Lord. These things are for the believer, and they're largely for the church. Um, they are not largely for the unchurched. They're not largely for the unbeliever. Without faith, prophecy seems almost humorous, you see. Without faith, someone having a word of knowledge from you seems almost uh, a joke of sorts. But for people of faith who believe, um, it can be a, it can be a, a exactly what you need, exactly what God wanted, wanted to give you. And so spiritual gifts of the demonstrative type are primarily for the believer, and they primarily are made for the edification of the saints. Um, they are not made primarily for division. There can be a rebuke in spiritual gifts, um, but that's not what the primary purpose of it is. Um, that kind of uh, well, something that I, I was taught by, by uh, one of my pastors who's a profound influence on my life was that whenever spiritual gifts cause more division than they do edification, their motive is almost always founded in vanity and not in a care for the body of Christ. Um, and so if there's a person with a particular personality type who they're always rebuking and they're always disgusted. Um, it could be that there is a vanity foundation um, to the, the motive that is going on behind them. Uh, underneath, shall we say, the surface. One of the examples that I, I have of this is there's a family uh, that once attended our church and they had children who were quite sick. And uh, there was uh, another uh, man in the church who he fancied himself very, very spiritual. This has been years ago, so you, no sense trying to figure this out. He fancied himself quite spiritual. And uh, he was, I'm, I'm not saying he wasn't um, good in many ways, uh, you know, by the standards of any of us. He was quite good. Uh, and yet we acknowledge God's the only one who is good. Um, but he, he, uh, he fancied himself uh you know, uh, to have this kind of a thing. And he told this family that it was their fault that their children were very sick. He told them that, and he was speaking for the Lord at the time. He told them that it was their fault that their children were very sick. And um, because they had not, you know, been zealous enough um, and they had not been, uh, you know, sold out to God enough. That was why the, both of their children had terrible sickness and disease upon them. Well, that family, you can imagine how they would react to it. And that family has never, as far as I know, they don't go to any church. 
Um, now, this is a perfect example of a gift that causes divisions rather than edification. There was something in that guy who he, you know, he showed it in, in many other ways through his vanity. Um, but he, there was some part of him that wanted, shall we say, to be the one who had that Old Testament prophet type of rebuking judgment uh, upon these people who were mourning the sickness, the diseases in their children. He wanted that somehow. But there's a problem. Um, the gifts are not primarily um, about causing division. They are primarily about edification. And so I don't tell you that story as a type of a uh, entertaining thing. I tell it as a warning to all of us, myself included, that I need to believe that if my so-called gift does not demonstrate the heart of God, I have to ask myself, what is it in fact demonstrating? I'll give you an example. If, if it had been their fault, how in the New Testament can you justify that the next step for them <laughs> is for the church to point out it was their fault, their part, their kids were sick. Um, this is just wrong on so many levels. I, I won't defend it anymore. But um, if our gifts cause our demonstrative gifts cause more division than they do edification, there's a strong possibility that our motive is based in vanity. So um, I am wanting now to move quickly in uh, to the discovering of our gifts and how we can uh, develop them and how we can grow uh, in our spiritual gifts. Um, number one, uh, I would encourage you all to turn away from self-service Christianity. Church cannot primar primarily be about how much we get blessed or we're not the ones with the cross. Um, do you see? Our, ch our church cannot primarily be about um, our we being our own purpose. We have to be quick to pray with other people. Um, if you've been serving the Lord for a long time um, and we're in a prayer time, you need to be quick to pray for someone who you know it would be okay for them. They, would, they wouldn't mind you praying for them. You need to be quick to do that. Um, it's not primarily about us. In fact, um, I believe that I am most blessed when God uses me to bless someone else. It's almost like I get the benefit of his presence for free. I get the benefit of him being with me for free because I saw through his eyes and loved with his heart. So turn away from self and see the value of others. You won't care much about your gifts until you want to help other people. Now, you might care from, care about gifts from a vanity perspective, but that's that's not the path, my brother, my sister. When you really see the value of others, you'll want to develop your gifts to help uh, other people. Uh, so uh, along this idea, um, we can't love the idea of the church more than the actual, real, practical, imperfect church. A lot of us can get in the habit of, we love the idea of the church. Um, Bonhoeffer said this, and he's one of my favorite theologians. I, I don't agree with him on all of his systematic theology, as you would know, but he lived a testimony of faith and trust um, and gave his life standing for uh, Christianity and the ethics of Christianity, killed by the Nazis. And I, I keep his, uh, his uh, biography on my desk um, to remind myself that you can be gentle and you can be Christian and you can still be profoundly strong. Um, he said this, few things are more deadly to a community of faith than a romanticized view of life together. We fall in love with the idea of the church. We don't fall in love with the very strange, 
awkward people who are sitting by us at church. Do you see what I mean? We, we, it's like the person who loves the idea of kids, but want to run screaming whenever their kids get too loud. You see what I'm saying? You love the idea of uh, spending your life with somebody, but you won't ever actually be true to somebody. Few things more deadly to a community of faith than a romanticized view of life together. So let's be honest. We get on each other's nerves, but we choose love. We choose to be kind, hearted, accepting. Um, other people raise their kids different than we raise our kids. Um, we can run to a tribalized church where everybody has to be like us or they're kicked out or we can humble ourselves and say this is what living together is dealing with people uh, getting along with people accepting people uh, this is the truth of all god-ordained churches we are a strange and awkward group of people that do not blend naturally if we do blend naturally, that's because we have a tribalized Christianity and we have pushed away everyone who doesn't share our social social structures, our politics, our ethnic inheritance. Do you see? Uh, we have we have in some way um, tribalized the church and where if you're enough like me, then I accept you. But if you want to say the church is a testimony of God, it has to be a group of people that are divinely brought together. The only way we can make it is if God brings us together. That's why I'm proud to be a part of First Church. Uh, many of us are not naturally placed together, but God put us together as a testimony of heaven. Um, and so, uh, continuing Romans 12 and 3, For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should. Instead, think sensibly, as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Um, and so, we have to learn to appreciate the differences. And when our children become a, a source of tension in these differences, we have to teach our children what it means to be a part of a body of Christ. And so I appeal to you parents, don't be fast to take your child's side against an, uh, some other family in the church. Show them justice. Don't be quick to believe a Sunday school teacher wasn't fair to them. You have to live out the body of Christ integrated as a testimony of redemptive grace. You have to live it out or the lectures will not be heard by your children. Your life lived, that'll be seen and that will be caught. But the lectures in uh, many cases are going to be, are going to be ignored. Uh, we have to see there is a distribution of faith and we have to not elevate ourselves. We have to see the good of people who are very much unlike us. Uh, one of the, the things the Lord recently gave to me um, in a difficult time, um, and we all have difficult times, so I don't say that to be a tragic figure. I just, I say it as a point of connection with all of you. Um, the Lord, the Lord gave me this. Um, ministry is, is, is a place of true spiritual flow, blessing, and purpose when you love people, but you don't need people. I have known men like this. I have known people of faith like this. They loved people deeply, but they did not need people. Um, I have I have seen that. I have not attained that yet. 
That's my confession for the evening. If you can love people but not need people, uh, ministry is is just an amazing place to live. Do you see? Uh, most of us, however, <laughs> um, <laughs> we love people but we do need people. We need people to like us. We need people to accept us. We need people to approve of us. We need people to embrace us. And when they don't, it's it's a tough road. So here's the thing. If you love people and you need people, you can make an impact, but ministry is really going to hurt. It's really, really going to hurt. So we have to, first of all, pray for strength, and then we have to choose courage. We never overcome fear. We choose courage. We never overcome fear. We choose courage. Uh, the third category, if you need people, but you don't love people, you are a dangerous, dangerous person who should never go into ministry. Let me say that again. If you need people, but you don't love people, uh, you're a dangerous person who should never go into ministry because it won't be long before you are a wolf among the sheep. Um, we should, having, uh, as we talk about discovering our gifts, and uh, the, the first one here, the first one of discovering our gifts to turn away from self. The second one I would say is to focus on fruit more than gifts. Focus on fruit more than gifts. Why do I say that? Because fruit is God's gift of spiritual transformation in your life. Do you see? Fruit of the Spirit is God's gift of transformation. You don't think like you used to think. You don't talk like you used to talk. Uh, Christ-like maturity is demonstrated not by gifts of the Spirit, but by fruit of the Spirit. Demonstrated by the fruit of the Spirit, not the presence of spiritual gifts. Ideally, you would have both but when it comes to evidence, fruit, uh, I'll explain this more in just a moment, fruit um, is uh, the real sign of spiritual growth. Um, God may choose to shine through a spiritually immature new convert. Uh, however, do, that, does, <laughs> that does not make that new convert spiritually mature. Um, they might be useful, but that does not make them seasoned. Now, sometimes uh, some of a seasoned one could use the enthusiasm of a new convert. Don't get me wrong, the purity of their faith. But I want you to understand they have many trials ahead of them. They have a lot of tough decisions in the storm, but God can still use them. The presence of a gift is not the sign of spiritual maturity that uh, fruit of the spirit is jesus said you shall know them by their fruit so i want you to get this this is the end of the matter on fruit versus gifts satan can imitate and counterfeit spiritual gifts but satan cannot imitate and counterfeit the fruit of the spirit all right i'm a preacher i repeat myself satan can imitate and counterfeit gifts of the spirit but he cannot imitate and counterfeit fruit of the Spirit. And lastly, I want to talk about how as you discover your gift, whether it is in your talent, it is your gift of service, uh, or whether it's a demonstrative gift of the Spirit that primarily edifies believers, um, it can be easier for us to start in a category of gift than it is to start with a specific 
gift. So uh, let me give it to you like this. There are establishing gifts. These are gifts of the spirit that are establishing. They establish people. You can read about them in Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12. These would be the gift of the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, teacher. Uh, These are the gifts of establishing, do you see? That is a complete uh, category. But there's also another category of gifts that are the gifts of support. Here you can read about these also in uh, Romans chapter number 12. A prophecy can be a support to the church. Many of the men used and women used in prophecy um, themselves move from congregation uh, to congregation in a ministry that's almost evangelistic or even prophetic um, because that is there and they serve the church um, in a manner that is not the establishment type work of a pastor. Teachers can do the same thing, but more supporting gifts. This can be a gift of encouragement, the gift of giving. That's one of those 18 gifts I told you about. Administration and leadership, the gifts of mercy. I love merciful people in the church. Merciful people are the ones who are sensitive to the lonely, the downtrodden, who is slipping up to them like a son of Korah saying, I'm so glad you're here. You know, if you want to get technical, I don't need to be here either. You know, they kick me out too, but let's just sit here together. These gifts are primarily to organize and administrate the church. They are supporting gifts and they best carry out its responsibility. And the last category I want to tell you about is pure ministry. So what we had uh, was we had uh, this um, gifts of establishing, gifts of supporting, and finally ministry, straight pure ministry. This is gifts of wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, helps, administration, uh, leadership, distinguishing spirits, uh, excuse me, distinguishing spirits, speaking in tongues, interpreting tongues. These are the tools that the spirit uses within the church. These are the some of the ones listed by the Apostle Paul to the New Testament church. And lastly, I think, I want to end with this because I want you to take this with you. Um, the most important gift, uh, let me restate that, the most important principle to establishing and starting working in your gift is, I think, um, found in the story of the fishes and the loaves. Um, the crowd is hungry. They're very hungry. There's thousands of them. Nobody has that kind of food. But Jesus doesn't ask them to feed the crowd. He asks them what they have. And Peter says, well, we have a boy here with loaves and fishes. And Jesus says, give me that. Um, A truth about ministry is if you look at needs, you will be ever overwhelmed. You'll be defeated before you start. If you look at needs, you won't do anything. You'll just sit there. You might, you know, develop into an intercessor that kind of begs God to do something because you don't know where to start. Now, I, I don't, I don't, I don't act as though there isn't a, a profound importance to intercession. Don't misunderstand me. I'm just saying that, uh, you know, one must go. One must seek, one must ask, one must knock, one must teach, one must baptize, one must disciple. We can't just hide in the prayer room. Um, And so if you look at the needs, it will overwhelm you and you'll say, how do we feed 5,000? But if you'll look at what is in your hand, what is in your hand? Jesus said it this way in terms of the need that overwhelms. He said, look, the poor you have with you always. There's never going to be an end to that. The needs will always overwhelm you. What do you have in your hand? What do you have in your hand? 
a boy had loaves and fishes in his hand. Mary had an alabaster box in her hand. And what do they do? They took what was in their hand and they gave it to the Lord. And what did the Lord do? The Lord changed everything with what they had in their hand. The single most important thing, I believe, in this issue of determining your gifts um, is what's in your hand. What can you do? What can you say? What can you do now? Okay, that's enough. Um, any any uh, questions that any of you have, um, now would be the time to type them in. And uh, one of the ways in which um, uh, Anthony had one question here that I think is a great, dis uh, a great um, example of uh, a, a good discussion question is uh, some of the ways, what are some of the ways the devil can mimic uh, the fruit, or not the fruit, but the gifts of the spirit? Well, uh, my first response would be, uh, remember that he comes as a, um, an angel of light. He comes as though um, he is uh, in some way uh, manifesting as God. He is an imposter. And he comes in this disguise of light. Um, and so when he works among churches, uh, what he does is he tries to lure the believer to share their values, their heart with him. And so in the Garden of Eden, which is one of the most profound teaching stories of how the enemy, how Satan works, you see him. He doesn't tell Eve what to do. He appeals to what he thinks she wants. And he motivates her by appealing to what he thinks she wants. You see, Satan thinks he knows us. And he said, and so he says, look, it's look, Eve, it's good to look upon. It's good to eat. And here's the kicker. It'll make you like God. There is no spiritual gift that you cannot find an analog, a, a comparable example to um, in the spirit industry, the satanic world, everything that happens in the kingdom of God has a counterfeit in the satanic realm. Whether it is a word of knowledge, <laughs> you see, whether it is some type of a sorcery, we're giving you a word from beyond the dead, whether it is a spirit speaking to you, whether it is music to move you, it's just all demonic in its origin rather than authentic. And so there is no spiritual gift that happens in the church that is not imitated by the devil. In fact, some of the greatest talents that exist in entertainment learned their trade under the anointing of God. And they left the anointing. And now they use their giftedness to promote the values and the desires um, of the flesh and even and even of hell. That is a perfect example of how um, the devil imitates. The issue isn't uh, what are some of the ways he imitates. The issue is he will imitate everything, everything. In fact, uh, in the New Testament, Jesus and the other uh, individuals uh, that wrote the New Testament warn against 
false Christs. They come and what are they doing? They're imitating Christ. How did Jesus tell us that we would know them? By their fruits, you shall know them. And so um, I, I think that um, that is one of the ways in which, one of the ways in which uh, hell's causes confusion is by imitating. Now, uh, the, I would say the way that um, uh, gifts cause harm is not because people want to be used by the devil. The way that gifts call harm is that people are motivated by vanity and selfishness. Um, I know people that, uh, I know of situations right now of people causing great harm, um, but they cannot receive a word. I'm not in a position to give them a word. Either it's not a church situation that I have, uh, that I'm the pastor of. Um, it's uh, I, They are not in a place they can receive from me. Um, and if they were in our church or say that they're not in a place to receive from, from me, um, their vanity has blinded them to any good thing I could say. And so they are not waking up in the morning saying, I want to be used by the devil today. They're not. Uh, if, if and when I make mistakes, um, I'm not desiring to be used by the devil. My mistakes would come from a place, just like yours, our mistakes would come from a place of vanity and selfishness. And so the path to using our gifts for God is to stop self-serve religion and to value others more than ourself and to want only what God has for us and God to give us nothing that we can't share with others. Uh, this is the heart of someone who says, I will carry a cross. It's not a cross of, of so here's the unique thing about the cross. Jesus is not dying for his sins. Does that make sense? And so in the Christian tradition, the cross is not a sign. It's not a sign of <laughs> You, got, you guys understand what I'm saying. Jesus is finally getting what he deserves. No, no, and a thousand times no. That's, that's not. He is carrying other people's sins. He's dying the just for the unjust. Listen to Paul. Make it clear. It's not his weight that he's carrying and so ministry feels like those of you who volunteer and serve and give of your time um, it might be exciting a few times but then it turns into good old-fashioned w-o-r-k but i want you to know if you can discover joy in the w-o-r-k of serving god that in my my opinion is the highest form of spiritual maturity. I am giving myself for others. I am serving others. I am showing up early for others. I'm staying after for others. And I choose to celebrate the joy of it because 
someone stayed for me someone gave me you know there's always um, areas of ministry in the church that are hard to feel you guys know this um, there's always certain ministries that are hard to feel I'll give you some of the toughest ones to feel um, <laughs> nursery is super tough to feel it's a ton of work some of you guys in this room have done it um, other people's kids are cute for a little while <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? But after a while, you know, it is a true act of selflessness that some of you ladies have carried for years. And I speak God's blessing upon you. Don't ever low rate yourself and look at some preacher who is you think, oh, he's better than me. No, he's not better. Wrong way to think about it. If he's if he's not giving himself for others, he's not even at your level of maturity. He just has a microphone. Um, uh, driving a van to pick up people you don't know. It's always hard to feel, and yet some of you in this room do that. You know what's hard to feel? You don't know them, and you're going to be in a car with them, and you're going to have to make conversation, and you're going to have to spend the time you could have hung out with your family. You see what I'm saying? Uh, this, these are typical examples of difficult. Right now, while we're doing this, we have people, um, you know, t teaching kids, uh, uh, you know, and maybe not every Wednesday night, but many, many Wednesday nights, people, you know, they could be at home chilling, but they choose to see their best life as a blessing to others. And the highest sign of spiritual maturity is my best life in other people's blessing, my best future in a helping and uplifting other people. And so um, that, is there any last questions? I wanna give you a moment here uh, before we, any last questions? All right, let me ask you, let me ask you uh, a couple questions uh, real quick that you can help me on. Is there any subjects? Well, let me just say it this way. If there's any subjects you would like me to cover, maybe you're reading about them, maybe they're in the news, maybe that's something you're facing, um, feel free to send me a message. Uh, most of you guys have contact for me. If nothing else, you can send to pastor at firstchurchclt.com. Um, I will try to serve you. My goal is to build people. I, I can't build a church. That's God's business. Um, I can only build people. Um, and that's the role of ministry. Read Ephesians chapter number four. I equip you. I build you any way I can serve you. I want to do it because that is what I am called to do. God builds the church, but I equip people and build uh, people. And so any subjects like that, um, I appreciate it. Uh, thank you those uh, for those of you who um, asked questions tonight. Uh, yes, um, there are notes. I don't know if they're up right now. I didn't look, but if you'll just give it a few minutes, a little while later on tonight, they will be up. You can save them and print them for your, or whatever you want to do for your own records. Um, and so I love you all. I appreciate you all. I want to encourage you to start making plans to be social on Easter. You have friends, you have family, be social. Uh, it, don't just invite people to come to church with you, make plans with them. Invite them to come to church with you and go eat afterwards or come over your house and cook, anything like that. Um, you know, let's plan to be social. People matter, people matter. A thousand times I say, people matter. Nobody starts in the altar talking in tongues, tears down, going down the face. No one starts there. Um, 
people matter. They start coming over your house. That's where it starts. They start by, uh, you know, connecting with you in a small group. So, all right, that's enough. I love you. Uh, Let me pray over you, and then we will uh, go our different ways. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity to spend this time with these wonderful people. I I am blessed as a pastor. I'm blessed beyond uh, words uh, to have uh, these people uh, join with me and do life and ministry with me. I say thank you for them, Lord. God, I pray you would protect them. I pray you would lead them and guide them. I pray that your unction would be within them. Lord, I pray that as believers, we would be prayerful. We would be spiritually intentional. We would turn away from apathy. We would turn away from that spirit of at ease in Zion, where our biggest motivation is comfort. Lord Jesus, stir up the nest of our heart and let us see the ministry that is available for every one of us is uniquely gifted, uniquely spiritually gifted for the work that is before us in Jesus' name. I love you. If you haven't had less than three of first steps, um, Don teaches that and he does a, a much better job with it than I ever did. He goes over your personality types. He gives you a starting place. If you haven't come to the connect party that we do at the end of our cycles of first steps it's a great way to meet small group leaders to meet ministry leaders there's a place for you at first church we love you we appreciate you and let's let's just look to have a a a strong week and let's look to see that uh this sunday uh there is a there is a, a great uh, how shall we say, a uh, powerful move of God in the sanctuary. And so I turned everybody's microphone back on. If you want to say uh, goodbye to everyone, I'm going to say goodbye now. God bless you. I love you. Have a great week in Jesus' name. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you, Pastor. music come in. It was great. I'm going to do that next week. We're going to have music at the end. (laughs) All right. Love you guys. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please take Give to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.